0: I can say, having been involved with Alpha for years and years, that it's something that God has wonderfully used uh, in the various ministries I've been involved in. Let's pray as we begin. I've sensed some pushback from the enemy. You know, somebody is not too happy for us to be doing what God wants us to do. Uh, But we come in the strength and the power of God. And so let's just commit this time to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you so much for uh, this wonderful time that we've been able to spend so far in worship of you and of your Son. Thank you for all that you mean to us and all that you're doing. And Lord, uh, I would ask that by your Spirit, you would open our hearts to what you want to share with us, what you want to do in our lives this day. And Father, I pray that we would hear the voice of God and that we would respond to the voice of God. And uh, Lord, you would guide and direct us, that your blessing would be upon us for your purposes. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. I'm kind of excited about the few weeks that we're going to share together and uh, where we're going with this. Uh, From time to time, it's necessary for us to pause... And to take stock of our lives, where we're going and what we're doing and what we're committed to. And uh, that what we do is based on well thought out uh, values and priorities. That we're not just cruising through life meaninglessly. Socrates had said uh, that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And if we're going to live a life, we ought to live on purpose. And the problem is that some of us live our life kind of on default. We've got things that we have to do and schedules and things that are are normal to our week. And we just go through those things mindlessly. And sometimes we don't stop and think about what it is that we should be doing and giving our lives to. And uh, so we perpetuate just whatever we have been doing. You know, the same can apply to institutions and to churches and to edu- educational uh, 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 schools. Um, that that we, can, we need to stop sometimes and think about what it is that we're supposed to doing to make sure that we are on point with what God wants us to do. Uh, that we understand what we're supposed to be doing, and we're doing it. Not only are we doing it, but we're doing it effectively, because you can do something and not be effective at it either. And uh, so we want to make sure that we're doing what God wants us to do. Why is this important? It's important because our life and our world is in a mess I mean, when you hear what North Korea is doing and the threats they have and how they want to incinerate nations, uh, you you look around and you see what happened uh, just a couple days ago in London uh, on the tube when when somebody detonated something and people were hurt and, and terrorism and disease and hatred and all of the things that are going on in our world. And because of this, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. And, and it's because we are in such a mess that we need to see God's remedy. We spoke of the hope of the world, the hope of the world in Jesus. But because the hope of the world really rests with the church. Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek uh, uh, in Chicago, uh, 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 a mega church there, made the statement that the hope of the world Is in the church and some of us may push back and say whoa 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 the hope of the world is in Jesus yeah absolutely I agree with you but the institution that that God gave to touch the world was the church it was God's people and in that way the hope of the world is in the church and if the church fails we fail God and we fail our world that's hurting the stakes are high and the and the currency are the lives of human beings, and God loved that alienated world. He loved that broken world and seeks to reach out with His grace. So the question is, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? What is it that we're supposed to be doing, and what are we not supposed to be doing? I mean, to say we're supposed to be doing this means that there are other things that are you know lovely things to do, but they're not the priority of the church. And when it comes to the mission of the church, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, thankfully, God didn't leave us to guess, to wonder. I wonder what God wants us to do. He told us very plainly. He has a mission for us, and that mission is to make disciples, to make disciples. We are on mission to make disciples. After Jesus' death and resurrection... Before he went back to heaven, he met with his followers. Uh, he gathered them together, and he told them this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Uh, Jesus came and said to them, All authority on earth, on in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. The mission, he said, is to make disciples. I want to suggest to you that there's a, a bit of a twofold process here. The first one is uh, to reach people with the gospel. That is... He has good news for people who are alienated from him, who are broken, whose lives are are, are in a mess. Um, And and he he gives us the good news of the gospel. And what he wants to do is he wants us to reach people with that good news so they may hear and they may step over over the line of faith, step into the family of God, step into the kingdom of God, become children of God, uh, helping people know that in our desperate need and in our alienation, that there is a God who loves them and cares for them, a God who sent his son to come to earth to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven and that relationship could be restored. People must know and people must be reached. And all of us who can have become followers of Jesus Christ here today can probably point to somebody in our life or some people in our life that really touched our life. That, that That helped us to come to faith in Jesus, but it doesn 't end there it doesn 't end with just stepping across the line of faith into the family of God. It also involves growing people in the gospel, so not only are we supposed to reach them with, reach out to them with the gospel we 're to grow them in the gospel so what what uh, Jesus had said was for these people who who have become disciples, they've become followers of Jesus, I I want you to help them. First, I want you to baptize them. I want you to initiate them into the church, into the body of Christ. I, I want you to help them understand who they are and take this initiatory step. And declare their allegiance that they are a follower of Jesus Christ in a very public way. And then what I want you to do is I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Because they can't stay there as a little baby Christian having stepped over the the threshold into the family of God. We want to grow them and mature them. See them become everything that God wants them to become. And, and, And that's what God wants us to do. And let me say, if we're not doing this, folks, and if we're not doing it effectively, there's something wrong. If, if, if somehow we, we're doing all kinds of really neat other things that are cool and, and nothing wrong with them, but if we're not doing this, we're missed, we missed our reason for existence. And, um, and we're letting God down and we're letting our world down that God has called us to reach out to. So what we've done uh, over the past uh, year and a half or so, we've been working as a a leadership team. And uh, we've come up with a new mission statement. And our new mission statement is this. To lead people to know Jesus Christ and follow him passionately. So we've taken what, what we're supposed to be doing in our church and trying to put that into a phrase that is biblical and represents what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to lead people to know Jesus Christ and follow him passionately. Would you do, would you do a favor? Would you just repeat this with me? Our mission is to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. Can we do it one more time? to lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. So let me break this down for you. First off, in John 17 and verse 3, Jesus makes this statement. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said this. He said, I want people To know God. I want them to know me. Now, next slide, please. To know doesn't just mean to have some intellectual understanding about. To know means to experience God. I want them to experience me. I I want them to be in an intimate relationship with me. That's what knowing God is all about. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? To know God. God wants to be known. God reveals himself. Jesus reveals himself. And he wants each one of us to know him. That is to be in a relationship with him. That's incredible. That the creator of the universe would care so much about me... That he wants me to know him. He wants me to be in a relationship with him. He he wants me to be bound with him in this close relationship where we communicate with each other. And he's in my life in this vital uh, relationship with him. Now that relationship originally, why we needed that? Because our, our relationship was broken because of sin and rebellion. We said uh, no to him. We said, we're not going to do what you want to do. We don't care what you want. We're not going in your direction. And and, and that relationship with him was severed. But God, through Christ, having died to pay the penalty for our sin, made it possible to reconcile us with him so that we could know him and have a relationship with him. And so when we say this, our, our mission statement is, lead people to know Jesus Christ, to come into a relationship with him. That's what he wants. And um, it's interesting um, because we we can know a sports figure. You can watch all of somebody's games. You can read the highlights. You can read the biography. Um, uh, there may be a celebrity and you follow that person and you follow them on Twitter and this and that. Uh, you know, I, I love music. I love piano and I love jazz piano. And one of my favorite jazz pianists is now the late Oscar Peterson. And I've had the privilege of hearing him in concert. I have a pile of CDs of his. I have some, some books of his. I've seen documentaries on him and all the rest of it. I could tell you a lot about Oscar Peterson, but I don't know him by experience. I don't know him. I, I never knew him in relationship. It's that way. God wants us to know him. In fact, in uh, John 1.12, it, it says, To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. To be in that kind of relationship where we call the creator of the universe, Father. He invites us to do that. Well, uh, he wants us to know Jesus Christ, but he also wants us to follow Jesus Christ passionately, in that to follow is to grow in that relationship to live out that relationship. We need to do more than just believe. We need to do more than just step into the family of God. We're going to be in this growing relationship where we follow Him passionately. That's what we were called to do. And a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's just another word for a follower. And if you were a follower of of a a teacher back in Jesus' day, uh, you would travel with him. You would listen to him. You would learn from him. You would emulate from him. um, You would be shaped by him. And what Jesus wants to do, he wants us to be followers of him, but not just casual followers. He wants us to be passionate followers of him. He wants us to live our life by his priorities, to know him and to grow in him, to find him and to follow him. Uh, Jesus was asked a question once, and the question was this. "Uh, Master, what is the most important decision? What's the greatest decision? Uh, excuse me, the the greatest uh, commandment in all of the, the word of God. And without hesitating, Jesus said this. It's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength What does it mean to follow Jesus passionately? It's to love him with the totality of our being, to love him more than we love anything else, to have him shape our life above everything else. And I need to ask you a question two questions. Do you know that this God loves you and has invited you into a relationship with him? Have you said yes to him? Have you opened your heart to him and said, I can't believe that you would want to have a relationship with me through Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, and I want to start that relationship with you. And then let me ask you a question. Are you committed to following him passionately? Are you committed to living your life for him with passion, with, with, with heart and mind and soul? Are you seeking by God's help to follow him Whatever he wants in your life. This is what God has called us to. And I want to tell you as a church. If we're not doing this. And if we're not doing it effectively. That we need to step back. And figure out how to do that. If we're not saying. You know these are great things. But we, you know what. Those are not our priorities. Because God has given us our priorities. What he's called us to do. And. We don't want to miss his purpose. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is an incredible, uh, an incredible privilege. There's a passage of scripture that is is just kind of astounding to me. Um, Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've been down in Egypt. And uh, things got really bad for them. And they were abused and they were oppressed. And God heard the cry of his people. And he showed his power and strength through miracles. And he brought his people out of there. And it's really fascinating uh, what's said in, in uh, Exodus 19 about that. God says this, "'You have seen what I did to the Egyptians.'" And how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. It's a beautiful picture. They were, they were hurt. And he said, I went down and I brought you out of there. I released you from there. And I carried you on eagle's wings. I carried you away from there. And I brought you to myself. His initiative. Everything that he did. He heard the cry. He reached out. He brought them to himself. And then he says to them, now listen, if you obey my voice and keep the covenant, if you follow me in what I'm asking you to do, here's what he says. You shall be my treasured possession. My treasured possession. Is there something that you really treasure? You, you know, nobody can touch it. You protect it. You guard it. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of how I could describe this to you. And I thought, think, think, about, think about a person who gets married and, has ch- and wants to have children. And year after year after year goes by, and for some reason, they're not able to conceive. And then like 13, 14 years later, they're going to have a baby, and they have that baby. That baby is a treasure. I mean, all kids are. You waited that long. That baby is a treasure. And you don't, you know, you don't let that baby out of your sight. You hold that baby, you care for it, you provide for it, you protect that 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 baby. And God says this. You know, I brought you to myself. And if you'll just follow me and if you'll obey me, you will be my treasured possession. I own everything, he says, but you, oh, you will be special. Think about that. This is this is God's. People in the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say this. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He said to Israel, you, Israel, a nation, are going to be priests to the whole world. Every one of you. You know, we know that the priests were a certain family in the tribe of Leva. They were Aaron's family. But God says, no, you know what? The whole lot of you are going to be my priests to the world. Sadly, they failed miserably in that. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, we come now to the New Testament. Did you, if you paid attention to what uh, was being read by Colin this morning, we read this, that God takes now and begins to apply this truth to the church as God's people, God's holy people. And so the privilege of who we are, um, the privilege of being God's people is incredible. And here's what it involves. First, we are a chosen people. We're a chosen people. In uh, in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 and 10, it says, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what he did was he took that which God said about in the Old Testament about his people, he has now applied that to us as the church. And we have this privilege to be chosen by God, his special treasured possession. And unless you think there was something special about Israel, there wasn't any very clear about that. It wasn't because you were the, the greatest number of people. or the, You weren't special. I set my love upon you. And, and those of us who are here and... and, and we, we know what it is to be a child of God. He, he says, don't you get, you have nothing to brag about. That was all God's grace that reached out to do that in your heart and in your life. And he set his love upon us. He said, once you weren't a people, hmm, now you're the people of God. He goes on to say that they were a, a holy nation. He says, they're a holy nation, morally pure in the world. Um, and, and uh, set apart to God in the world. And then he goes on and he says that they're a temple. They're a dwelling place for God. You know what? This building is not the house of God. This is the house of God. This is the house of God. In 1 Peter uh, two 5, I'm sorry, I don't think that's up there. Let me, let me read uh, 1 Peter two five. You yourselves are like living stones are, are being built into a spiritual house. Oh, we got it. Thank you. Um, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He said this, you know what? You are where I dwell. In the Old Testament, there was a, there was a tent. It's called a tabernacle where God met with them. Later on, it was a temple. But he says, now, you know what? There's, the temple's been destroyed. You know what the temple is? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is where God dwells. The church is the temple of God. It's it's where where, where God resides among his people. So here we are, this chosen people, this holy nation, this temple. And and, um, with privilege comes also responsibility. There's a responsibility we have. A responsibility to point people to Jesus. What do we do? Well, first off, we're representatives of Jesus Christ. We're representatives to him before the world. In chapter 2 and verse 9, it says that we're to declare the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What do we? He puts us, showcases us, that we may... Declare before the world the incredible things of God. The praise of God should be on our lips so that people have a chance to see that God is represented um, in us. That they see something about who he is as they see us. In Matthew five sixteen, Jesus said these words. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, he wants, he wants us to be good representatives, to live the kind of life, committed, dedicated, passionate, follow, passionately following Jesus that shows something of what Jesus is like in the world uh, so that they might see. Um, but he goes beyond that. He, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, um, by this will all people know that you're my disciples. What was it? Love, love. He says, I want people to come in and see you together. And see the kind of love you have in this messed up world. And I want them to see a little bit of heaven on earth when they see you. But he says something else. He says this, that we're to be priests serving. Not just representatives pointing people to Jesus, but priests serving. And and he says in verse 9, You're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. In verse 5, he said he was building us into a spiritual house to be a holy uh, priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a priest. What's a priest? A priest is someone who mediates between God and people. A, A priest is someone who points people to God to tell them about God, to tell them what God is like and what He wants of us and of His love and His expectations and what He's done for us in Jesus. Priests, we are not just priests. We are royal priests. We're royalty. And He didn't just take us off the earth, but He left us not only to represent Him and show Him, but to be priests serving he wants us to reach out and extend his love to pray for people to bring them to him to represent him to people to have that role of of mediator to let the life and the love of jesus flow through us the church is the answer to the woes of the world and so what what god did was said hey you all You're all priests, royal priests. You have a task to do in this world in terms of representing me and sharing with me. This is God's call to each one of us. This is our mission. And this goes deep into the roots of our church. Let me tell you a little little bit of, just a tiny sketch of the history of our church. Our church actually began and was birthed in prayer. In the late 1920s, there was a woman by the name of Mrs. Barron, a Scottish woman, who was praying for a church, like our church, to be planted in, um, in Unionville. And she prayed, and she prayed. And years later, a group of people, in 1949, began to meet in Gormley to have a Bible study in somebody's house. And to form a church, and that church would start in um, in 1949, in downtown Unionville, in the Legion Hall. So what would happen was, Sunday morning, people would come in early and clean up the beer bottles and the ashtrays, sweep it out, get it clean, set up the chairs, and they'd have a service. And then what they did was They said, you know, we need to have a place where we can worship that's ours. And so they began uh, to work and to give. And uh, they built a little church. And uh, here's a picture of the inside of it. Pretty small, right? Tiny little church that people had started. And and in time, uh, they actually put an addition on um, I've got a picture of what the whole church looks like today. That was, that was our home on Main Street in Unionville. You can see on the left-hand side of that picture, uh, the roof line, was the first little church. And then they added on to it something bigger. Um, I, I have an uncle who, who has a saying, uh, the shoe should never tell the foot how big it can grow. And so they said, you know, we're, we're running into problems. We, we can't go any further. And so it was that uh, that some of our leaders sought God for a greater vision, what could be. We didn't want to be limited by a small facility. And um, here we have a field, a field on 16th Avenue. This is what our leaders saw. Well, they didn't see a field. They saw souls. They saw a church. They saw a church that would be brimming with people. A church that would reach out and touch its community in a powerful and a profound way. And they looked at that and and, and they they began to dream and to work and to begin to get plans for and build this particular facility. It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of faith and sacrifice. There was time and there was finances and there was service. But through those efforts, through the faith and, and believing that God could and would do something more and unwilling to stay locked into a small space, they saw souls. They saw a need in our community. And through that, hundreds and hundreds of lives have been touched. People have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've had their lives transformed. Uh, they've found hope. Many of you have been the beneficiaries of the ministry of this church. Many of you say, it, it was here that I found Jesus Christ. It was here that I really grew in my faith. It was, it was here where God did some significant things. And you're following Christ today. Because of Unionville Alliance Church, some of you were serving, some of you gave and and, and gave and and did so that we could enjoy the fruit of your sacrifice and your labor. And it's kind of humbling, and there's deep gratitude that we have knowing that we're standing on the shoulders of others, others who, who did what we have not yet done. And yet, I, I want to say to you that every generation is called to make its contribution to the work of God. Every generation, we're not supposed to sit back and say, oh "Man, isn't this, isn't this great? What what we have here? We don't have to do anything. Somebody else built it. Somebody else dreamed about it. Somebody else paid for it. Somebody else's." And, and we just sit back. And no, no, no. That's that's not it. See, see, the thing is that it's. Time for a new generation to step forward and, and, and to do our part and to make our contribution, not just to enjoy what others have done. So when I think about our future, I think about celebrating our past and honoring our past and those who were part of that. But God calls us in a new way. To touch our world through Jesus. One life at a time. He wants us to touch our world. He wants us to have an impact on our world through Christ. One life at a time. To be his representatives. To allow his love to flow through us. To reach out to help others. Just one life at a time. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it daunting. Uh, the needs are so great. I get mails. I get, I get mail. I get emails. I get requests. I see need everywhere, and, and some of us are so overwhelmed. We don't know where to even begin or to start. I, I love uh, a statement that Andy Stanley said once. Why don't you do for one, people, one person what you'd like to do for a whole pile of people? Just one person. Why don't you Touch one life? Why don't you just do something for one person, one life at a time? And every day, God gives us multiple opportunities to be Christ to people in our home. Sometimes I think we miss our home. Sometimes I think we miss the whole point of our home. As husbands, are we encouraging our wives? Are we lifting them up? Are we just grumpy? Are we demanding? How about wives to their husbands and kids, even in the home, to say, I want to touch the life of my family. I want to touch the life of my children. I want to reach out and I want them to know that they're loved and they're cherished and, and that God loves them. And I want to teach them and I want to help them understand the faith. Every day, God gives us multiple opportunities to touch a life through his love. I remember with with my granddaughter, we were we were going to pick up something for her mom for Valentine's Day, and we pulled into the to the lot of a, uh, a drugstore and uh, got out of the car and there was uh, an older lady walking to her car and, and my little granddaughter popped out of the car and looked at the lady and said, have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And the woman looked back at her and said, thank you, sweetie. That's the only good thing that I'll have today. And here's a person who, who feels alone and a little child said, hey, have a great Valentine's Day. You young people, you have an opportunity to touch fellow students. You, you, have, an, you have an opportunity to, to, to find somebody who, who's new in your school and who doesn't have a friend or somebody who seems uh, to be going through a hard time. We don't know what's going on sometimes in people's homes and in their lives. Somebody who's struggling with their schoolwork, and you could help. You could reach out and you could touch a life. In your workplace, in our church, recognizing that every day we come in here to worship and we see smiling faces, but sometimes behind those smiling faces is a lot of pain. And God wants us to reach out and touch them, to befriend somebody, to encourage somebody, to share the good news of Jesus with somebody, to build somebody up, to create an environment of love and warmth this, uh, this Saturday, we have an opportunity to go to downtown Toronto where there are people who are living on the street, people who are struggling in, in so many ways and so broken. And we have an opportunity to go down and say, here, through the love of Jesus, here's something to eat. We've got people who, who are cooking and baking. We've got a, about 25 people, who, make sure you sign up, who, who get down and serve, and care for the food, and care for these people, and, and, and smile, and say, God bless you, and, and encourage them. We have people who are down there who are praying, and asking God to do something. Uh, we, we have our, uh, our uh, master's pantry, and we have people coming in who have some needs, and they come in twice a month, and we provide food, and clothing, and other things that they need, and it's interesting in, in, in talking to Nancy about what's been going on. Yet we, we started with filling tummies, but there's so much more. And now so often she will have a lineup of people waiting to be prayed for. They're coming for food, but they want something else. There's a hunger in their heart. There's a need in their heart. And God puts us there uh, to do that. Uh, we, we've got Alpha starting. I, I told you I've been, I've been working with Alpha since the early 1990s. And I've seen God do some incredible things, just inviting people in to come and to explore the Christian faith in a safe environment. I just, I'm going to tell you one story quickly. The guy's name was Bob. I was doing a trial run with Gerda in our home, uh, first time we tried Alpha. And uh, we wanted to have some maybe a couple of people who didn't know Christ, we wanted some people who, who we felt could be leaders going on. And so one guy whom I had never met before was dragged by his wife, who would become a Christian, from uh, about almost a half an hour north of us and committed for three months to come to a pastor's house for about three hours, um, once a week, for over three months. You could, you could see, like, skid marks all the way down, the, you know? And, and like, I, I don't know how I let my wife talk me into it. And when he came into our home, you could tell right off the bat how uncomfortable he was. <laughs> how did she get me into this? I don't know. But he kind of, kind of warmed up through the time. Bob's a very quiet person. And um, as, as we finished the course... I used to have a horse, he had horse, he had show horses, and he said, you want to go riding sometime? I said, I'd love to. And uh, I went riding with him, and we finished the ride, and we were back in the tack room of his barn, and and I said, Bob, what are you making about all this stuff that we've been doing in Alpha? He said, you know, it really makes sense. And there, in that in that tack room, Bob opened his heart to Jesus Christ. Was it... It was a few months later, they got baptized, joined the church, was serving in the church, and and one day I said, you know, as as I often feel like, there's no place I'd rather be in the world than here with you, worshiping God. And Bob came up after the service, shook my hand, and leaned over and quietly said, he said, you know what, you know what you said about that, about this not wanting to be anywhere else? That's how I feel. And to know that God took and did something in a life. So we got Alpha starting. And it's an opportunity for us to um, invite others to come and investigate. And see that there's a God who loves them. Who's reaching out to them. And um, you know, um, one of our elders, uh, Don Rowe, has, has had a lot of impact on young people. He coaches. has coached for years, and he's in in his uh, role with with our city. He's dealing with youth leadership all the time, and um, Don has had an impact in such a way that he gets invited to all kinds of weddings because they they just appreciate appreciate the impact that he's had on their life. And there's a story that um, that he tells these. Uh, these groups of kids, as he trains the young leaders, and uh, he tells them a story about uh, a kid who's on a beach, and and the uh, the the uh, the water's gone out, and laying on the beach are all these starfish, and they'll fry in the sun and they'll die, and the little kid picks one up and throws it into the water. There are thousands of these littering the beach. And um, and the, the old man sees the kid do this. And he says, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to help them. Oh, he says, there are too many. You, you can't do anything. And the little boy reached down and picked up a starfish. And he threw it into the water. He said, yeah, but I can make a difference in that one's life. And let's not get overwhelmed with all of the, what, what is out there. But to remember that we can touch people through the love of God one life at a time. And we need to make our lives count for Christ. You know, sometime we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, what would you do with what I gave you? I gave you money, I gave you time, I gave you opportunity. Did you just luxuriate and, and, and just keep everything for yourself? Or did you care about the mission I gave you to reach out? And my prayer is that we would invest our lives and that we would have to go to two services because we're reaching out and people are coming in and finding Jesus Christ. And if we fail at that, we fail at what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts You've communicated your heart to us. And Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts to you, to your love and to what you want to do in and through us. And I pray, Father, that um, we would grab a hold of what you want and that we would help somebody to find Christ, to grow in Christ, and you'd use our church in wonderful ways, and that we will hear from you someday. Well done, good and faithful servant, in Christ's name, amen.